Welcome to another edition of NBA Sound System, and boy, are we ready to pot this week. Carmelo Anthony is back, and we're going to get to that. We're going to get to Chris Porzingis' return with the, in uh, Madison Square Garden against the New York Knicks. We'll also talk some Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly beef, Paul George's return, and those ugly new Magic jerseys. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty and Kyle Irving. The three men weave this week on NBA Sound System. And uh, first, fellas, how how's your week so far? I mean, it's a month into the NBA. The first time you guys are uh, on the new format of NBA Sound System. What's been going on? Good. I have no complaints. <laughs> I'm excited, man. Let's go. Yeah. Let, Another let's... good week in the NBA. Mellow's back. No complaints. How could I have any complaints with that? No. Well, let's start right there, I guess. The biggest news of the week, Carmelo Anthony reportedly signed to the Portland Trailblazers on a non-guaranteed deal, meaning he's coming to save the day in the northwestern part of the country. Is this a good move for the Portland Trailblazers? It's fine. It's fine. I mean, he's look, he's one of the greatest scorers in NBA history. Coming right? hot right out of the gate, folks. It's look. fine. <laughs> what a take. It's uh he's one of the greatest scorers in NBA history. I think like he could make a difference on this team. They need another scorer. Um so in that sense, like why not why not take a shot at him? The only thing is, like, this isn't that much different of a situation that he was in in Houston and OKC. Um he's joining a team that's built around another superstar, this time in Damian Lillard. And he's going to fill a similar role. And he wasn't great in that role in OKC in Houston. He's all he's also older. Um, and that's not even, you know, talking about him defensively. Um, the Blazers are in the bottom half of the league in defense so far this season. We're well aware um, that Melo is not a good defender. It was two years ago in that series um, against Houston that James Harden just picked him apart. Um, so I'm, I'm not optimistic that it will work out. But given that the situation that the Blazers are in right now and how they need a boost, I mean, you might as well try it. I don't see I don't see the harm in it. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that's where I was going to start. Uh, my counter argument is that right now, nothing. There's nothing going uh, in the Portland Trailblazers' direction, and you know, Melo is not going to bring them the defense that they need. Uh, you know, they're one of the worst defense teams in the league right now. But I like that he is going to give them some sort of a boost. It's going to add something to that locker room. It's something to be excited about. Um, I think the Blazers, as it is, it was kind of interesting going into this season because they really did change their entire roster that went to the Western Conference Finals. I mean, aside from Lillard and McCollum, it's you know it's a bunch of new faces there, and you know you figured it was going to take some time for it to mesh, and it hasn't gone the way that they want it to start the season. But you know they kind of have to work with what they have now because you know the Mo Harklesses and Seth Curry's, Al Farouk Aminu, Jake Lehman, like all those guys are gone now. That those guys that made up that bench unit that made such a big difference, Myers Leonard as well, to that push in the Western Conference Finals. So they they kind of have to work with what they have now, and you know it wasn't working out to start. And I think that Melo gives them a decent boost. Um, you know right out the gate, he just changes that locker room just a little bit, gives them something to get excited about. Uh, Damian Lillard's already said he's excited about it, um, which you know he's the leader of that team, and if he's excited about it then i don't know why the rest of the franchise why the rest of the team wouldn't be four and eight right now are the portland trailblazers they're 13th in the western conference as we record their last loss came against the toronto raptors a very shorthanded raptor squad that really beat them you know beat them solidly in that game uh and offensively was the biggest issue for the portland trailblazers in that game the raptors granted they are a really good defensive team Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum just couldn't get anything done. Damian Lillard's streak of, I think it was 200-plus games of at least scoring double digits came to an end uh, on that night. C.J. McCollum was non-existent, and there wasn't a third option. We know that Carmelo Anthony is not a good defender. Portland Trailblazers, I guess, have you know conceded the fact that they're not going to be a good defensive team this year. They're right now sitting, as you mentioned, bottom half of the league. They're currently 19th, as we record right now, in defensive rating. When you look at what Carmelo can do at this point of his career offensively, is that going to be enough to rejuvenate this team to get them back into the playoffs? Because if you remember, this is a team that was in the conference finals just a couple months ago. Right. I, I mean, I don't I don't think he's going to be the difference maker, um, to be completely honest. As I was saying before, like, he, he hasn't played in, what, nearly a year? I think it's actually been over a year, wasn't it? It was like two weeks ago that it was his one-year anniversary uh, of when he last played. And even before that, like he's an older player now. He wasn't particularly efficient before that. Um, to your point, like the fact that this Blazers team needs another someone else who can score.
um, especially at that position because Zach Collins is obviously going to miss a lot of time um, after go- undergoing surgery on his, his shoulder, right? Um, so there's a position of need there. There's definitely a need for his skill set. I just don't know at this age, um, at this point in career, how efficient he can be in that role and if it's enough to make a difference in a Western Conference that is still so loaded. Yeah, I don't think it's not like he's going to step in and become a starter and all of a sudden average 20 points per game. He's probably going to be a starter, though, right? You think he's going to step into the starting lineup right away? What about Mario Hazonia? I mean, it, whether or not he starts right away or not, right? Like, I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a possibility that he will eventually be the starter. I would have thought. I mean, like, you think of, like, again, going back to the skill set, like his ability to shoot threes, you can use him in pick and pops. Um, in you, his heyday, he was a guy you could run the offense. Through. You really like, think Melo at this point of his career's coming in to start? I get it. I get it. What he said, and and he was very, very against coming off the bench in OKC. But people forget he came off the bench in Houston. Like he he conceded coming off the bench in Houston didn't work out the way that either he or Houston envisioned it would work out. I don't know that at this point in his career he's coming into a situation where he sat down for an entire year without basketball, basically begged to get back into the league to then end up being a starter on Portland. I don't think Portland's bringing him in to be a starter. Do you? I meant it more that like I think there's a chance that like he could work his way into the starting lineup, just given like the makeup of this team and what they have. I if, don't necessarily know he's going to be the starts from day one, but I think like if all went to plan and he actually plays well, like there is a need for his skill set in the starting lineup. We could honestly say that Portland is really hitting the panic button with this move, right? Like they're, they're, the, the guy was sitting on the couch 24 hours ago, still hasn't been official yet, but he's going to be signed by the time you guys hear this. And they're bringing a guy who has not played in the league for an entire year and he's clearly on the downside of his career. This is a panic move for the Portland Trailblazers. If Carmelo Anthony, and I love Melo, absolutely love Melo. I'm so happy he's back in the league. If Carmelo Anthony is starting for the Portland Trailblazers, well, they better start looking at the draft class of 2020. Well, first off, he wasn't sitting on the couch. He was, you know, getting up mid-range jumpers <laughs> in the open gym with Chris <laughs> But I think my favorite part about this move is that last year I thought Melo caught a raw deal. I mean, the Sixers started out four and six. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, the Rockets started out four and six when he was on the team, and they didn't get off to the start they wanted to. And I don't necessarily think those two things were correlated. I mean, Melo wasn't great when he was there. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I think that, you know, they cut him as a loose end and then the team finally started playing well. I mean, they were one of the worst defensive teams in the league when he was on the team. And I know he doesn't help on that end of the floor. But all of a sudden, you get him off the roster. That doesn't just make them get back to where they were defensively in the team that got to the Western Conference Finals year before that. So I think he caught a raw deal. And I think this is an interesting chance for Melo to kind of revitalize his career in Portland kind of a vice versa of what happened last year so he you know the team was struggling and he ended up being the the part that got cut loose now that this team's struggling and they're bringing him in to try and add that boost like I was saying earlier so I think this is kind of an interesting spot for Melo where he has an opportunity to make a positive difference and you know kind of have people change their perspective on him here where do you guys think Melo ends the season is he ending the season with the Portland Trailblazers or is he going to get cut by the new year and not even get what's owed to him on this non-guaranteed deal. Um, Kyle and I were talking about this. It was ESPN's Bobby Marks that tweeted that how much of his, how much is he getting paid? I mean, you, you actually read it, Kyle. It was, so. was 14000 and change. And then... 14000 and change. And then if he doesn't get cut, it's like January something, I right? January At that point, 7th. he gets a guarantee. His contract becomes guaranteed. Correct. Um, that's a long time to me. I don't know. As the guy who just floated the idea that he could start on this team, I, I don't <laughs> You're know. You're backpedaling right now. I'm not backpedaling. I, I, I mean, I said there's an opportunity for like, there's, there's a need for a skill set in the starting lineup. That's what I said. So give me a, a secure take because you started off this conversation with saying it was fine. Let's yeah, end it was it fine. With, yeah, it's a fine move. So it's let's fine. end it with a stronger take than it's fine. Where does Melo end the season? On his couch or on the Portland Blazers, Portland Trailblazers roster? I'm not going to say on his couch. I don't know if he's necessarily on the team at the end of the year. So where is he ending the season? Not on the couch. Answer there. Not on the couch, but he's probably not in the NBA. All right. Kyle. Well, last year, Carl and you and I had actually had a conversation, and I think we had lobbied back and forth the idea of, is it going to be Christmas? Is it going to be the All-Star break? And right. I was the person that said, you know, you're out of your mind. He's going to finish the season with the <laughs> Houston Rockets. And literally, I think it was two days later that Daryl Morey announced that he was no longer going to be a part of the Rockets' plan. So – 
I'm just going to double down on that. I'm saying he's ending the season with the Portland Trailblazers. And I, I honestly still do see the Portland Trailblazers as a playoff team. I just trust Damian Lillard. I trust that he's going to do whatever it takes to get his team there. And he's playing unbelievable basketball, by the, by the way, right now. So I think once they figure out the whole team aspect of it, Melo's going to be a part of this, a part of this trip that brings this team to the playoffs. I agree with you on one thing. I think Carmelo Anthony finishes the year with the Portland Trailblazers. I just don't think this team is going to be good enough to make the playoffs. I mean, if you're at this point in the season, you're only 12 games into this point, and you're already asking Carmelo Anthony, who we all agree on, is way past his prime to come on to this roster. And again, I love Melo, but this is not the guy to save your season. I'm sorry, Portland uh, Trailblazer fans, but you're not making the playoffs this year, but you'll have a lot of uh, long twos to enjoy throughout the entire regular season. Let's move on and talk about another team that Carmelo Anthony played for, uh, and that is the New York Knicks, who basically had their championship on Thursday night when they saw Chris Stapps Porzingis enter the Garden for the first time as a member of the Dallas Mavericks. Boos were heard all through the tri-state area. Uh, you, you name it. Any Nick fan in the world from sea to shining sea was booing Chris Stapps Porzingis whether or not they were at the Garden that night. And it seemed to affect Chris Stapps for the beginning of the game. Then he got into the mix and started playing basketball. And later on in the game, just couldn't really find his stroke. Finished with 20 points, 11 rebounds. It looks good on the stat line, but... A loss is all we'll talk about. And the Knicks, with that win, actually swept the Dallas Mavericks. That's why I call it the championship for them, because they were able, they're now undefeated against Chris Stapps Porzingis. And that's one thing that they could hang their hat on. If they played the Mavericks all 82 games, they might go undefeated. Right? Yeah, that's not how basketball works, though. Yeah, I mean, well, this is this is a huge win for the New York Knicks, but this is more about Chris Stapps Porzingis and his return to New York. He had some things to say about... Uh, the way things went down, how the fans didn't understand really what went on behind the scenes and everything else. But now that it's finally behind him uh, and we look forward with the Dallas Mavericks, do you think that Chris Stapps is in a better situation now in Dallas than he would have been with New York? Yeah, I think so. I mean, his teammate is Luka Doncic, who is playing basically at a top 10 level this season. So I think just that dynamic makes it a better situation. Um the other thing with, with Paul Zingas is that, like, I think it's easy to forget that he's missed so much time with that injury, um, that torn ACL. I think he was gone for, like, 18 months, um, which is just such a long period of time for a guy to not be playing basketball. Right. Um, so, you know, like, it wasn't, a, it was it hasn't been, I don't think it's been a great start to the season for him. The signs are still there that he can kind of be this player that the Mavs need him to be for to, to, to enter that um, contender um, stage again in the Western Conference. Um, but I just think it's going to take time for him. So with Chris Epps Porzingis, I'm, I want to say that I have been very patient as far as with Gordon Hayward goes in the Boston Celtics and, you know, allowing him to take a full season even to get back to where he was before he broke his hand this year. And, he was and, and for the, for the f- new listeners that are just hearing Kyle's first for the fo- ver- voice for the first time, rather, uh, he is a big time Boston Celtics fan. That's why he's saying he's been patient. Go ahead. I have been patient. And, and you know, he was playing great basketball before the hand injury. And, you know, I was just going to sit here and write off Chris Porzingis, you know, 11 games into the season, which wouldn't have been fair because as Scott just said, I mean, that's a serious injury. He spent 18 months away from the basketball court. So it really is tough to write him off this early in the season. Um, I was going to, you know, bounce a question to you guys if you thought that Chris Porzingis could be the second man on a team that wins a championship with Luka Doncic being that first man. I mean, maybe they fill in pieces around them. Uh, I'm not saying this team has championship aspirations right now, but really it's just that, you know, it's it's too soon to write off, write off Chris Porzingis as someone who can't be the second man on a championship team because, like I said, it might take a full year for him to get back to the unicorn that everybody was talking about, that everyone was all excited about in New York. Um, I think the boos were warranted in New York. I just think that that's how that, you know, that fan base works, and I think that you know, it's almost not a sign of respect, but it just means that he meant something to them at one point, and he kind of moved on from there, and I think that he's definitely better off in Dallas than he was in New York right now, but um, just to bounce that back to you guys, I mean, what do you think? Do you think that when Kristaps Porzingis returns to the player that he was in New York, if he returns to the player that he was in New York with Dallas, could he be the second player next to Luka Doncic? Well, to- for, well first of all, we're, we're talking about a guy who just 18 months ago, Scott mentioned, when he was healthy, was being talked about as a legit guy that could lead a championship team uh, one day when he had pieces around him. So for him to be now knocked down a peg and be the 1A or 1B rather to Luka Doncic's 1A, of course I think he can. I mean, this is a guy who... Let's not forget, you know, before he got hurt, 
22 points per game. He was blocking shots at the rim almost three a game at a high level. He's doing some of that now, back you know to start you know the season, um, and uh, that's what Dallas needs. And the pieces are in play. When anytime you get two top, let's call Porzingis 25, 30 player in the NBA right now. Uh, right now a, he's not, but I, I mean I, he can get back to that point. He, yes. he will eventually get back there, and I don't know if he's that far off. If he's not there right now, he's not that far off of top thirty player in the NBA. Um, when you have two guys that can go out and get it, we see with the Raptors last year they they were able to figure it out. Uh, I, I think the Dallas Mavericks, as long as they continue to build uh, around these two, and they will be able to. Um, Mark Cuban's not afraid to spend some money when he needs to. They'll be fine. This team right now is not a championship team, but they have championship ingredients to build a championship roster later on i will say this about paul zingas um i think the most worrying sign again it's early he missed a lot of time um but one worrying sign to me so far this season is that he's been one of the worst post-up scorers in the league um and we're talking about a guy who's what like seven two seven three he's one of the biggest guys in the nba um according to nba.com um or synergy he ranks in the basically the seventh percentile in post-up efficiency right now, um, which is just awful. Um, and when you watch kind of his post-ups, a lot of them are just, even against smaller guys, like he's just looking to shoot over them and not using necessarily his size or his strength to get close to the basket and get good shots for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to what you're saying, like, do I think he can be the number two on a team? Like, yes, I think he has that in him, but that's one of those things, like he's gonna have to be able to start creating his own shot more um, in the post and things like that. Cause you think of the way that teams are gonna defend him and uh, Doncic when it when it really matters like putting those guys in a pick and roll should be unstoppable because if Porzingis pops he's one of the best shooters at that position in the league um, and he can space the floor for Luka to attack but also if you switch that like in theory you should be able to just kind of pick whichever one has the biggest mismatch and they they should be able to exploit that every single time right now Porzingis can't do that I think he'll get back to the point where he can um, but until he does that like that that's going to be a very big missing part of that team. He's not a low post guy though. He's he's definitely not he's a low post guy. He scored a lot in the post back in the Knicks. I know he's not like a he's not like a bruiser. He's not right. like a Joel Embiid. He's not like a Anthony Towns. Um, but he he was a decent. He's never been like an like an incredible post up scorer. Um, but he was a capable post up scorer in New York. His worst game so far this season actually came against the Celtics. He had four points. Uh, you know he was dealing with foul trouble all night long, and they lost that game by ten points. And Marcus Smart actually guarded him for the majority of that game in the post and was doing an excellent job. So to your point, you know, you're 7'3". Come on, Porzingis. Marcus Smart's what, 6'3"? You have, you know, the height advantage. You should have the size advantage. You should just be able to bully him. And Marcus Smart really kind of took him out of his game. And the funny thing about that, by the way, going into that game, I think Porzingis did make a comment about how guys like Marcus Smart used to bother him in the post. And, and he's, he's better at it. And he's kind of got beyond that point. And then to your point, Marcus Smart kind of kind of shut him down. I will say he was he was almost like shying away from that contact with Mark, Marcus Smart guarded him for the majority in the post because the Celtics were playing without uh, Cantor in that game. And I believe Robert Williams might have missed that game as well. So, I mean, Marcus Smart spent a lot of time on Porzingis in the post. And we've seen Marcus Smart defend a lot of big men in the post before. But I think, I mean, this offseason, we, we saw that picture of Porzingis. And it looked like he put on a lot of muscle, upper body muscle. And people were excited about it and everything like that. And you would think that means he's, you know, more physical and assertive in the post. But I also think with a leg injury like that, you, it's going to take a little bit for him to also get his legs under him. I mean, once he gets really comfortable on the court and, he, you know, he feels like he's physically back to full strength, maybe we'll see him get back to that, you know, back to the basket. Um you know, kind of assertive presence in the post. Ten games into the season, the Mavericks have played 11. Where do you see Porzingis right now, and where do you expect him and the Dallas Mavericks to be by the time April rolls around? Are they a playoff team? Are they a championship contender? Where are they sitting in the balance of the Western Conference? They're definitely not a championship contender this year. Um, they looked like a, a pretty safe bet to make the playoffs at the start of the year. They're coming off a couple bad losses. Um, or tough losses, I should say. The, both the Knicks losses were bad, um, but the Celtics loss was a tough one. Um, and they lost to the Lakers. So it's a, that, that, if you remove the Knicks games, they lost to the two best teams, best record-wise, as we record right now, in the entire NBA in terms of Lakers and Celtics. So that's not But they also lost two games too against bad. the worst team in the league. I so. <laughs> they lost to Portland, who we were just, talk, we were just talking trash yeah. about. Yeah, fair enough. All right, so where are you out on that? Are you playoff team, Kyle? Honestly, I think Luka Doncic is playing too well to – 
count them out as a playoff team. I think that he's playing so well right now, and I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. I think, you know, as long as Porzingis is serviceable, I think Doncic is playing well enough that you can get him to the playoffs. Scott? I hate doing things like this. Um, I, yeah, they're going to be on the, they're going to be right there. They're going to be in that like eight, nine, 10 range. So I think they can make the playoffs. Stay tuned for the next segment where we go through every team in the entire NBA and Nash Scott, whether or not <laughs> they will make the playoffs or not. Uh, let's move on and talk about Paul George, who made his return as well on Thursday. First game of the year for Paul George is a 12th game of the season for the LA Clippers, a game in which he put up 33 points, pulled down nine rebounds, and his team still lost to the New Orleans Pelicans. It was on the road. It was a game where Kawhi Leonard didn't play. Now the Clippers are 0-3 without Kawhi Leonard in the lineup. We'll get to them in a second. First, let's keep it on Paul George. Great game for him, stats-wise, but he said after the game that he wasn't impressed with his results. Yeah, I think he said um, he thought he was terrible and that it felt like it was his first preseason game. Um, that's I think that's too harsh, to be perfectly honest. Um, Doc Rivers was... I think he said he was sensational after the game. Um, a couple of his teammates said he played really well. Um, but I think I think what got Paul George the most is that he had uh, five turnovers in those 24 minutes. And I think those four of those came um, in the fourth quarter when the game was going back and forth between um, the Pelicans and the Clippers. Drew Holiday did a fantastic job on him. I think he he created about three of those turnovers. Um, so I think, you know, considering he scored 23 points, considering he shot 10 for 17 from the field, got to the free throw line 10 times, um, he's being way too harsh on himself, but I do see like you know potentially where he's coming from with that. He had five turnovers in that game, as you mentioned. Drew Holiday forced him into three. Kyle, what was your system? Paul George's first minutes on the floor in 2019, 2020. I think that him calling himself terrible is just a product of them not winning the game. I think if they had won that game, then you know he doesn't say anything anything of the sort. I think he maybe even would have said that he felt comfortable on the court, everything like that. But you know the Clippers are here to win games. They're not here for stats. They're not here for MVP trophies. They're not here for Defense Player of the Year trophies. They're here to win games. They want to win a championship. And I think he's just trying to set the tone straight with you know I played terrible because they didn't get the win. Um, I'm not going to cut the Clippers any slack here because this is not a good loss. Uh, Brandon Ingram didn't play. Josh Hart didn't play. I mean, it was a pretty makeshift Pelicans team that was rolled out onto the floor. And, you know, there's no excuse with Kawhi Leonard even being out. There's no excuse they don't pick up a win here. I think it's, you know, just classic regular season NBA basketball uh, with a loss like this. But I'm not going to look too, too much into it until I get to see Paul George and Kawhi Leonard play on the floor at the same time. I'm really excited for that. I think that'll be uh, Saturday night against the Atlanta Hawks. Should be the first time that they both take the floor together. And I think that's when I'm really going to, you know, dive into this and, you know, watch that full game and really see, all right, how does Paul George play off Kawhi Leonard and then kind of, you know, make an opinion on his presence. I'm glad you said you're not going to give the Clippers any slack for that loss because that's a bad loss against the Pelican team that you you mentioned. They're, they're going through injuries, uh, you know, galore. Obviously, the big hole, Zion Williamson hasn't played for them yet. Right now, as it sits right now, the Clippers have seven wins, uh, five losses. As I mentioned, they're 3-0, 0-3 rather, without Kawhi Leonard in the lineup. Um, where do you sit on them? You know, everyone was going crazy game one when, you know, they were able to shut down the Lakers through the last part of that game and, uh, really pound them. And there was a lot of energy in Staples center. It looked as though Clippers were taking over LA since then. The Lakers have looked great. Uh, LeBron and AD are, you know, getting chemistry together on a daily basis. The Clippers, on the other hand, they haven't really had another signature win since then. They haven't really had another signature moment since then. And we still have to wait and see how Paul George and Kawhi Leonard will work together on the floor. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to, it's not going to work out for them. I'm not saying that they're still, they're not the favorites, but I'm saying that this is a team that looks as though they're playing with a championship switch and they haven't done anything yet. Um, First of all, I will say that we are ignoring the fact that the Clippers won the second night of a back-to-back. Um, not that that you know, means that they should have lost that game, but that that was probably a factor in it, or at least something we should acknowledge. Um, I'm not necessarily worried about this team yet. Um, I still think that at that peak, they can be the best team in the league and the championship I'm still and all thrown that. at the fact that you're bringing up second night of a back-to-back. This is the championship contending Clippers that lost to a team that is ready to go to the lottery. Sure, but second night of a back-to-back, Kawhi's not playing. A, well, a guy's making his season debut. Oh. First chance to play with this team. Like, There's a number of factors at play. I'm not <laughs> saying they, that, that they should just give them a loss going into that game, but let's just not like, you know. Anyway, we can move on. Go ahead. Now um, finish your point. Second night of a back-to-back. 
I'm done with that point. I just wanted to bring it up. Right. Um, I, I still think this team at, at its peak is still the best team in the league. Um, Kawhi being in and out of the lineup um, is not necessarily easy to deal with. When he's played, they basically performed like the best team in the league. Um, there's still things they've got to work out and everything. Um, but I also kind of going into the season, I didn't necessarily think the Clippers would, would be like a one or even two seed in the West, just with so much that's going on with Kawhi missing games. Um, you know, we, we talk about Paul George being able to take this team to another level. But at the same time, like, it's not going to just be a matter of, like, you throw them in the lineup and everything works all of a sudden. Like, there's right. still going to be things that they have to figure out. Um, so I think, you know, this goal for this team, like you were saying, Kyle, is, like, they want to win a championship this season. I think it is going to take them some time to get there. I don't know if they necessarily want the number one seed anyway, um, especially when you look at, like, a team like the Lakers. I think they'd be more, um, they'd be happy with getting that number one seed. Um, so I, I'm not concerned at all about this team yet. I think... You know, you brought up that dominant win over the Lakers on opening night and everybody was going crazy about it. It's it's very easy to see a win like that with, you know, Kawhi Leonard in the lineup and see Paul George in a suit and you know, in a suit and bow tie on the sidelines and be like, Wow, so this team looks this good and all of a sudden they get this, you know, top three MVP defensive player of the year contender or caliber player back into the lineup, like, oh, they're the best team in the league. There's no question about it. It's very right. easy to say that. But when they actually get on the floor together and, you know, this team they added Kawhi Leonard to the lineup, and they look good. And he's an easy player to play with, and so is Paul George. And I let me be clear, I think it's going to work, and I do think the Clippers are one of the best teams in the league. But there's going to be some growing pains there. I mean, like he's going to take the ball out of Montrezl Harrell and Lou Will's hands. He's going to take the ball out of Kawhi's hands a little bit. There's going to be you know, a waning period there where this team really has to figure things out, and it might look ugly sometimes. But I think all in all, I don't think there's a question at all that at the end of the season they're going to be right there, you know, Western Conference semifinals, Western Conference finals, potentially even the NBA finals. We watched Kawhi Leonard be in and out of the lineup last year for he missed 22 games if I'm not mistaken with the Raptors I think that's right last yeah. year played 60 um, and a lot of people are looking at that as saying you know what they'll figure it out in the playoffs when uh, when Kawhi Leonard is going to play in the playoffs and Paul George is there they'll figure it out but I'll throw this at you that Raptors team was already together long before Kawhi Leonard got there he was the guy that had to kind of conform to them when he showed up and they were able to play multiple games 22 games without him Danny Green being a part of that. Uh, so it, it wasn't like they're adding, uh, for the Clippers, they're adding a Paul George into this mix who doesn't know how to play with Patrick Beverly, doesn't know how to play with Montres Harrell or anybody else. He's learning himself, and on top of that, he's going to have to learn how to play alongside a guy like Kawhi Leonard who, on, on the flip side, is going to have to learn how to play alongside Paul George. And Paul George is probably an easier one of the easier superstars to fit because he's such a good shooter. He could do different things without the basketball. But you can't say the same for Kawhi Leonard. He needs the ball in his hands, and teammates or teams are going to, or the Clippers specifically, are going to have to learn how to kind of react with, you know, with Kawhi on the floor in certain situations. And right now, they're zero three without him. And when he's there, they have one signature win. Yeah, I think the the dynamic between him, so Kawhi, Paul George, um, and Lou Williams is going to be tested. Um, going down the stretch of games because you, that, I presume they're going to be on the floor in most situations because they're the three best scorers on that team. But um, Lou Williams and Paul George, as good of shooters as they are, they're almost overqualified to just be kind of cast to the to the side of shooters. But you also sure. have to run your offense through Kawhi because he's so good. Like we watched everything he did in the playoffs last year. You want the ball in his hands every single time down the court. Um, so you know, there's no doubt that they have stuff to work with there. Um, what one point I one one thing I will say. Um, the Clippers with Kawhi on the court this season have been outscoring teams by 13 points per 100 possessions, which is an outrageous net rating. Right. Um, they have basically been, they've looked like the best team in the league with them on the court. So no I doubt. think that's something that you can take and that's very promising moving forward. On the flip side of that, they've been outscored by 7.6 points per 100 possessions with them on the bench. Um, and I think that's actually, we talk about how, you know, they're going to have to make it work all together. But I think that's where you're going to see the addition of Paul George stand out the most. Um, because they've quite frankly, I mean, they've struggled with that Kawhi this season. But if you can add a guy who was a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year, an MVP last season to this lineup, and have him play basically every single time that Kawhi's not on the court, um, I think this team is not going to struggle as much as they have without Kawhi. Um, and some of these losses they've had early in the season, um, they'll start to win some of those games. 
I think something that's interesting too is, and you mentioned with Lou Will and Kawhi and Paul George on the floor at the same time to close games. I mean, all three of those guys are closers. Uh, you know, are Clippers faithfuls? If there are Clippers, Clippers faithfuls, they're there. Faithfuls some of them. out there. Some of them. Clipper Daryl, shout out to him. <laughs> Do you think that you know are they up in arms when Lou Will goes to take that game-winning shot with Kawhi Leonard on the wing and Paul George on the wing? Like, is is that going to be an issue there? I mean, the, the nice thing about this team is that they have three guys who are excellent scorers and you can almost like I was saying with with Luca and Porzingis you can almost be like whoever has the biggest mismatch like give them the ball and let's go um and especially all three of those guys can run a pick and roll you have one of the best pick and roll scorers in the league in Montrez um so I I think again like it's going to be they're going to have to figure it out how that's going to work and everything but I think if they can like this team should be pretty much unstoppable in offense I think there is a slight concern, too. I mean, Carlin already mentioned they're 0-3 without Kawhi Leonard on the floor, and granted, they didn't have Paul George either. But, I mean, the Raptors went 17-5 and in those 22 games that Kawhi Leonard wasn't on the floor. So even when their best player wasn't there, their continuity with that team and being so familiar with each other, I mean, that went a long way. I mean, is, is that an area of concern for the Clippers that they're already 0-3 without Kawhi on the floor, even though Paul George wasn't there? I think it is. That's That, that was the point I was trying to make is that people look at that Raptor record and say that they were able to figure it out and have Kawhi Leonard, you know, carry them through the uh, postseason. But you're look, you, when you look back on it, now you know this team was really good without Kawhi Leonard last year. It wasn't by fluke. And we're, they've started this season really good without Kawhi Leonard. Like, this stuff wasn't by fluke. It was already, already a good team and already a solid nucleus that Kawhi Leonard got added to. I'm not saying the Clippers aren't a good team. I'm saying that there's going to be some growing pains there because this Clipper team hasn't been together for a certain amount of years. This is the first time that we're seeing this core you know, kind of be together. They didn't have a core unit. I mean, Patrick Beverly, I understand, is there. Lou Williams, I understand, was there. But Lou Williams is a you know six-man-of-the-year candidate, He's a, he, which means he's coming off the bench. He's not a key contributor. He's not a key starter to uh, you know what they are doing. And also Montrezl Harrell, same thing. You're going to depend on Zubats to really kind of carry you through those moments when you're in the playoffs and you're unsure about who's going to bring it. I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're not still the favorites because in my opinion, they are. I'm just saying that there's some chinks in that armor. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some concerns there and some things that they have to work out. Um, one point that you said that I, one thing you brought up that I do want to talk about. Um, the only thing that's missing on this team, I think, when you look at this roster um, is at the center position. I said Montrez is one of the best pick and roll scorers in the league. Um, he's getting most of the minutes at that center position right now, but it's basically just him and Zubac. Um, and I like Zubac, he's a good player, but I also don't think he's someone that you want playing 20 plus minutes a game in a playoff series um, against guys like Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic. Um, and I don't know if you can rely on Harold to play 35 minutes in those situations because he is slightly undersized, as good of a player as he is. So I think if they can kind of pick up another center, maybe another rim protector between now and the playoffs, whether it's a trade on the buyout market or something like that. They better pray for that buyout market to be great because they don't want to have any assets to trade. Who, who, who are they trading without making this team much worse? They have, no, they have no draft picks. They don't have draft picks till you and I, and we may not be alive by the next time they have a, a first-round draft pick. <laughs> I think that's something that's interesting with this team is that they really are already championship contenders, even with you know a lack of depth at the center position. And I think that they're so close that you almost don't want to make a move because you know that move that you make could be the wrong wrong move and that could change your season. Um, I mean, maybe they just you know get on their hands and knees and pray that Andrew Bogut wants to come there once the NBL season's <laughs> up. I don't know, but you know I, I think that they're too close to make a serious move that could drastically change this roster because right now they really are championship contenders. I don't know how you make a move without knowing exactly what you have because we haven't seen this team together yet. And by the time the trade deadline comes around, we may not really know what they have until after that trade deadline's gone and passed. I'm I'm not saying they need to make like a big trade, by the way. I just want to make that clear. I think even like like there were talks going into the season about them working out Joe Kim Noah. I think like someone like that who can play fifteen minutes a game, um, kind of bang with the 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 other senses, the ADs, the Joel and Beads, isn't afraid to pick up five fouls. Like I think they just kinda need that guy. I'm not saying they need a top 15 cents sure. in the league or anything like that. Yeah. And those guys might become available. Yeah, well, Joakim Noah is available Well, Joakim right Noah is available, but someone yeah, yeah. like that yeah. might become available between now and, and February. Whatever. Yeah, I don't see it happening on the trade market for them. I don't know what uh, assets they're giving up. Let's, um, let's move on and table that talk for the Clippers. We'll be talking about them all year long. Uh, and talk about a team that uh, 
is one of the thorns in their side, I guess. Uh, Russell Westbrook and James Harden are starting to figure it out in Houston. James Harden is doing craziness numbers-wise. He's putting up historic numbers. Michael Adams, our, our uh, colleague here, talked about it on this very podcast a week ago about him and Wilt being in the same conversation in terms of impact uh, offensively, which is crazy to think because Wilt is – everyone looks as Wilt as the offensive, like, you know, God, for lack of a better term, like his numbers are out of this world. And James Harden in this day and age is, uh, you know, doing stuff that Wilt, uh, we haven't seen since Wilt. But, um, you know, the Clippers and, and we got the first taste of the Clippers and, uh, and Rockets this past week. And it was a win for the Rockets. James Harden went crazy again. 47 points, was it? 45? Um, I can, if you give me 10 seconds, I Go can tell it. you it's 47. 47 points for James Harden in that Rockets win. And later on, off the court, added a little spice to the rivalry between the Clippers and Rockets that we didn't know existed. So uh, Russell Westbrook came out and said that Patrick Beverly, I'm paraphrasing, of course, Patrick Beverly doesn't really play defense. He's fooling us all. Um, the numbers don't say so. Patrick Beverly is one of the best defenders in the league, probably be on all defensive team uh, first or second at the end of the year. But do you like this? Do you like the little spice between the Rockets and the Clippers? And do the Rockets need to do this to announce themselves to the rest of the league and make us think that they're actually contenders? I mean, of course I like this. This is fun. Um, not that it's surprising. I mean, the beef between um, Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook goes back a while. I think it was Beverly who um, hurt or caused their injury mm. um, to Westbrook a few years ago right. in the playoffs when he was in OKC. Um, so these guys have a history. I'm not surprised by it. In Wait the a second. Let, let me, let's clean that up. He didn't. He didn't actually go out and hurt. It wasn't like Tanya no, sorry, Harding sorry. or anything. No, like no, no, that. no, no, no. It he was more played a role. Yes. in Westbrook. Yeah. hurting his knee. Just want to make that clear. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Um, so yeah, th- this isn't a surprise. It's fun. Um, I still the thing with the Rockets for me is like Hans a spectacular player. There's no denying that he's going to be in the MVP um, discussion again this season. I, I just want to see it with him and Westbrook um, in the playoffs. And I don't think I can really believe this team um, as a championship contender until I see that. I'd pick the Rockets to win the NBA Finals at the start of the season. And I am going to stand by that because that was my pick at the beginning of the year. Um, and this is, you know, this is part of it. Russell Westbrook brings that it factor. He brings that attitude. He brings, you know, he has a moxie to him. He's not afraid of anybody and he's not going to back down from anybody. And, you know, I think that this, this little, uh, scuffle with Patrick Beverly, it's almost like a planting a bug in his ear. It's kind of just, you know, getting him riled up a little bit. Um, it, you know, it, it causes a little bit of a rivalry, a little bit of uh, turmoil between the two teams, one of the top teams in the conference. Rockets are also trying to prove they're one of the best teams in the conference. Um, I think it's good. I I think it's good for the league. I think it's good for this matchup. I mean, they play against they play against each other again next Saturday, and that's exciting as well that it's coming up this quick. I'm a little surprised that Patrick Beverly's been quiet. We haven't heard anything. He didn't play last night, so we didn't you know get any post game quotes on him or anything like that. I'm curious to see what Patrick Beverly has to say back to that. But all in all, I love it. I love everything about it. I love that Westbrook called him out like that, even if it's not true. Love that he called him out anyways, um, and it's it's fun. Just to clarify, so that game is actually going to be on the 22nd, Friday, the 22nd, next Friday, uh, in L.A. So Houston has to travel to L.A. Of course, we know that uh, both Harden and Westbrook are from the state of California, so that's a homecoming game for them. So they'll have some support, but um, with the Clippers actually being good, they now have some sort of a home court advantage. And we know that every time Russell Westbrook touches a ball, he might hear about it. It might not be Kristaps Porzingis in the garden, but it will be a little bit of a noise as we go through in that game. I'm circling that one on the calendar. I think that's one of the must-watch games of the season. So I'm with you guys. I enjoy the beef between the Clippers backcourt, uh, well, Beverly, and the Rockets backcourt. Let's move on and spend some time talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo because he deserves like a whole podcast for what he's doing numbers-wise. Um, is he the MVP right now? I think so, yes. Um, he's just, I mean, he won MVP last year. He's basically improved in every single statistical category across the board. About 31 points, 15 rebounds a game, seven assists, two steals, two blocks. Um, I think uh, Mike Adams tweeted that no player in NBA history has ever averaged 30 points a game while shooting 60% from the field. Giannis isn't doing that, but he's close. He's averaging nearly 31 on 58% shooting from the field. Um, he's getting to the free throw line 12 times a game. I mean, this guy is unreal. 
Um, so yeah, I think he is the the front runner for MVP right now. I think it's pretty clear. He said he was about like sixty percent of his potential in the summer. What, what, what was it? Sixty percent. Sixty percent. Sixty percent of his potential in the summer. Where is he at now, percentage wise, in his potential, Kyle? <laughs> I mean, we'll call it seventy. We'll we'll bump it up a little bit. <laughs> no, but but seriously though, seriously. I mean, he's averaging a career high twelve, almost twelve free throw attempts per game, and this guy's averaging almost thirty one points per game. But he's shooting a career low free throw percentage, sixty three point one percent. I mean, Scott, if you have his career average up there right now, do you? Uh, for what? Uh, free throw percentage? It's free throw percentage. Free throw percentage. 74. Yeah, 74%. If he's knocking down 74% of his free throws, this guy's probably averaging what? Like 36, 37 points per game? I mean, that's insane. So all of a sudden, you have this guy who's he's getting to the free throw line more. He's attempting more threes per game. Even though he's not shooting it at a high rate, he's attempting four threes per game. That's an encouraging sign as well that he's at least willing to take those shots. Mm-hmm. I'd give him 70% of his potential here. I think he's, you know, he's really starting to ramp it up a little bit, and we're seeing that so far this season. And the Bucks haven't been great to start this year, but he's been so good that they're still 8-3. and three, So, What do the Bucks need? They, they didn't sign Malcolm Brogdon. And we'll, by the time you guys have listened to this, Malcolm Brogdon would have played his first game against the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, and leading into that game, Giannis said that he misses Malcolm Brogdon, wish he was still a Buck. Is Malcolm Brogdon that piece that might be holding them back from getting to that next level? The funny thing about that, by the way, is that um, they both, Brogdon and Giannis kind of talk about it as if Brogdon chose to go to Indiana um, when really he was um, a restricted free agent. So the Bucks. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, they could have just matched whatever contract that he got, um, but they obviously decided to trade him there. Um, so that makes me wonder if, like Brogdon, um, you know, requested a trade there, really wanted to go there and push for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think to think that Brogdon could still be on this team, um, he's the kind of guy that they they do need. Um, if Eric Bledsoe plays as well as he has been lately, oh, I think like, they could make up for the loss of Brogdon. If I hear another if Eric Bledsoe when it comes to Milwaukee Bucks, I'm going to be sick. He's been great lately. He has but at the same time, like he needs to step up in the playoffs. Like That's what we've been saying about him. Um, so, so until we see that, I mean, who knows? Eric Bledsoe is probably the single reason why I don't think the Milwaukee Bucks are going to win the NBA championship. It's all falling on Eric Bledsoe. I do not trust Eric Bledsoe. I'm sorry, Eric Bledsoe fans out there. You, but he's the reason why the Milwaukee Bucks are not going to get over the hump. Everyone else will bring it when you know push comes to shove, and I can trust those other guys. I can trust Chris Middleton, even though I wasn't high on him ahead of last season. I've I've come around. I've seen Chris Middleton become an All Star. I've seen him play at a high level for Team USA, and before he got hurt, he was okay. Uh, Brooke Lopez, same thing. He's you know evolved his game. He's now a three point marksman, but he could also still go down there and pound in the paint and a great rim protector. People don't give him enough credit One for that. One of the best rim protectors in the NBA. You say that all the time, and they He's still have guy. they have other pieces around Giannis. But I just can't see a NBA team hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy over their heads with Eric Bledsoe as their starting point Don't guard. Don't do that. I'm doing it. I'm doing it right Don't now. Do I'm doing it right now. He's there a very is... talented player. He was a borderline all-star last Great. year. Good for him. But like this, you can't just say like he's not a good player. I did. Like I just a, did. You want to rewind a, it back? I a, just did. He's a I'm good not saying player. he's not a gr- good player. I'm saying that he is the reason why they are not going to win the NBA title because you cannot trust him when push comes to shove in a tight playoff series. And we saw that last year. We saw that last year. Push came to shove. The Toronto Raptors were down 0-2. They could have been down 0-3 with Kawhi Leonard out of the game, Pascal Siakam out of the game, fouled out of the game. And Eric Bledsoe could not hit one single jump shot to save his life. Yeah, he was uh, 3 for 16 in that game for what it's worth. So, so it's not a great showing. And that was his moment. That was his moment. That's what you will remember with Eric Bledsoe. And until he proves to me, because another moment like that is going to come up this year in the playoffs. Until Eric Bledsoe has a better than 3 for 16 moment in the postseason, you are going to hear me say it again and again and again. No team is winning an NBA championship with Eric Bledsoe as their starting point guard. I think... It's tough for Eric Bledsoe right now because no matter what he does while Chris Middleton's out, and he's been awesome since he's been fully healthy uh, starting the season with that rib injury. He came back, you know, they kind of ease him back into the rotation, ease him back into minutes, and he's been awesome since he's been back to full strength, and he's been great so far with Chris Middleton out. But at the same time, I think a lot of people share the same opinion as Carlin in the sense of prove it to me in the playoffs. And no matter what he does in the regular season right now, 
I mean, this guy could go out and average, what, 25, 5, and 5 while Chris Middleton's out. I mean, he's averaging 24, 6, and 6 in the last five games. He's going into the Pacers game. And I just don't think that people are going to be willing to give him that kind of credit until he proves it in the playoffs. So no matter what he does in the regular season, he's not going to get that credit. This also has more to do with the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks no longer have Malcolm Brogdon. And the reason why they they don't have Malcolm Brogdon is because they decided to pay Eric Bledsoe the amount of money that they're paying Eric Bledsoe. I'm all for him getting his money. Go get your check. Go get the bag. But it came at the cost of, in my opinion, the third most important player on the team behind Giannis and Chris Middleton. And you could argue that Malcolm Brogdon was just as important to the team as Chris Middleton was. He's no longer there. He's playing in Indiana. And now Eric Bledsoe has to jump up the ladder and become that third most important player on the team. On a championship caliber team, I don't see it. Yeah, I mean, you can. I think you can make the argument that Brogdon was, um, not for necessarily the entire playoffs, but for some of it, the second best player on the Bucks last season. Um, look, I, I'm not like disagreeing with you. He definitely needs to step up in the playoffs, and we need to see that. Um, and he needs to do that if this team is going to compete. I'm just not. I I just disagree with you. You know, saying that you can't see Bledsoe being the starting point guard on a championship team. You That's can disagree all, all you want. I'm saying it over and over again. I'll say it all year long until I see it. Look, maybe them getting rid rid of Brogdon is what they need for Bledsoe to feel empowered in that role. If you that's know? what you're banking on, then you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan. I'm, I feel sorry for you because it's, it's just not happening with Eric Bledsoe as your starting point guard. How just, is it that we have this team that has a generational talent, a player that, I mean, we've really almost never seen in the NBA before. And, I mean, it's just been a lingering conversation about Malcolm Brogdon all season long so far. <laughs> I mean, how is that? How is that? I mean, seriously, though. I mean, they have literally one of the most impressive players the NBA has ever seen before and another all-star in Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe solid and they have Brooke Lopez I mean they have they have pieces and all year long it's been well what if they had Malcolm Brogdon how is it like that I think we just take these players for granted to be perfectly honest I mean we've just talked about Harden the stuff that he's doing um is outrageous and he wasn't even really talked about as an MVP candidate I feel like until the last few games um you know, we, we do just take these guys for granted at a certain point. Which leads us to the next segment. Speaking of taking people for granted, let's go right now and give my man some love. Andrew Christian Wiggins has been balling 11 games into the season. Best 11-game stretch of his entire career. 25 a game. Averaging close to four assists, never done before. Pulling down rebounds like a madman at five a game, career high. Okay. Close to 50% from the field. Shooting 36% from three. Tell me when to stop. Uh, you, can, you can stop there. Wiggy Island's getting overpopulated, man. There's a it lot is. of Wiggy love lately. It's about time, though. I mean, credit to him. He's, making, he's made, I feel like, all the things that we've criticized him for over the last few years, like, he's, he's worked on those. Um, in particular, the long twos that kind of uh, ruined his efficiency as a scorer. He's taken a career low, I believe, in mid-range shots. A lot more of his shots are coming at the rim. I think he's basically doubled the amount of times that he's driving per game so far this season. Um, you know, in, in this system that has a more spread floor, he's making the most of that. Um, and as you are talking about with the assists, he's passing more than he ever has. And um, for a guy who's been criticized before for having tunnel vision, he's really going to the basket more, recognizing when teams are collapsing on him and kicking out to guys like Robert Covington, who are great shooters. Um, and this is all the things that we've been wanting to see from Wiggins. I just want to make note that his efficiency is also high. 22.4 right now through 11 games, which would be the best in his career. Yeah, and uh, career high true shooting percentage, 56.3. So um, the only thing that he's really not doing to be public, he's, he's not getting hitting free throws. Free throw line yeah, he's, and he's not hitting them when he gets there either. Uh, and it seems to be a Canadian thing because RJ Barrett stinks from the free throw line too. So, wait, he's shooting seventy four percent. That's not bad. That's not yeah. If you're That's not, not shooting eighty percent as a as a wing player, come on. I mean, it's what above, are we talking it's, about here? It's above slightly above his career average, and he's also at 70 percent last year. So let, well, let, let's not let's not clap about a seventy three percent career average from the foul line here. Okay, it's fine. All right, listen. I I am I do love Andrew Wiggins, and I've always. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna hate on him right here. I'm yeah yeah. yeah. This is my disclaimer at the start. Oh, okay. I, I, Go ahead. I'll mute his mic. There's gonna <laughs> there's gonna be some devil's advocate though. I I am an Andrew Wiggins guy. I always have been. And I always thought that he would eventually one day in the NBA figure this out. But I mean, it's five games, and people are going crazy. 
and he's playing really well and I'm happy for him and he seems like he seriously is bringing a better energy to the floor he's playing with more confidence I mean he's doing things like you guys just said on a basketball court that we've never seen him do in his career and that's encouraging but at the same time we are 11 games into the season and it has seemed like it's been a long you know two three weeks to start the season because we're so caught up in you know the games every day and stuff like that but I mean don't you think that we need to see him do this for 25 games before we get really overexcited about Andrew Wiggins look those five games that you mentioned which has been the best stretch of his career in terms of what he's doing and the efficiency he's doing it at he's averaging 31.6 points per game six assists he's shooting uh at 52 percent from the field close to 40 from three and he's getting to the line six times per game that is incredible for Andrew Wiggins the thing is is that this is coming at you know a necessity for the for the Wolves who are missing uh Jeff Teague starting point guard for the team and Andrew Wiggins has been forced into that role uh, and you know Shabazz Napier is not playing. They don't. They really don't have another guard. Uh, and Andrew Wiggins has kind of become that guard now in that starting lineup. And um, you know you you have to give him credit where credit is due. He, he's 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 doing everything that he's being asked of him. Coach Saunders is putting him in certain situations. He's bought into what Coach Coach Saunders has has put out there. Uh, and he said, you know what, he feels more comfortable in this system. You know, so give the man the credit that he's due. Um, Jeff Teague played last game against the Spurs, by the way, as of this recording, and Andrew Wiggins still had 30, eight, 30, 30 points, 8 rebounds, and 7 assists. That um, says a so lot. Obviously, we'll need to, to see it more, but but that's a good sign. Um, to what you were saying, Kyle, like, I, I agree that it, it's hard to, to completely buy into what he's doing just because of the stuff that we've dealt with him in the past. Um, I think we everyone has to be wary of that. But the, the reason that I kind of pointed out the things that I did, like him driving more often, him taking less mid-range shots, I feel like that's a sign that he's kind of a changed player. And I don't necessarily expect him to average 25 points the rest of the season with this efficiency, averaging six plus assists and things like that. Um, but I think there's enough to know that he is a different player and he's starting to do all the things that we've been criticizing him for and he seems more aware of it. So that's why I'm encouraged by his play so far. Let's also give credit to Ryan Saunders. I yes. know I know we're, we have to give credit to Wiggy and you know everything that he's doing, but let's also give credit to Ryan Saunders and also acknowledge the fact that Wiggins was playing in a situation under Tom Thibodeau that Tom Thibodeau is not no offensive genius. He's, he's in there for defense. He was brought in to play to kind of help the Timberwolves become a better defensive team. Nothing to do with offense. For the last three or four years, Wiggins has been getting killed for what he was doing on the offensive end of the court under a head coach. And before that, it was Sam Mitchell, who is, you know, great TV personality and, you know, great motivational guy. And, uh, you know, he, he's a he's not an X's and O's guy. He's not a guy that's going to get the best out of players on the offensive end either. So let's acknowledge the fact that Wiggins was playing under systems that didn't really cater to his skills. And now he's playing in a system that's catering to his skill. And w- I don't understand why we need to wait and see more. This is what Andrew Wiggins should have been off the rip when he came into the league. This should have been Andrew Wiggins. And put if you put him in a situation where he was going to be doing this or, or in a system where he had the ability to do this from day one, this would have been Andrew Wiggins from day one. The talent was there. Everything was there. This is Andrew Wiggins. Let's stop the nonsense and talking about wait and see. It's 11 games in. I understand that. But it's also 11 games in for, for, for Giannis Adetokounmpo. We don't say anything about that. It's 11 games in for James Harden and his scoring reign. We don't say anything about that. It's worth noting that this is coming from the biggest Andrew Wiggins fan in the world. But let's, right igno- let's acknowledge the fact that this is what it is. It's also worth noting that both those last two players that you just mentioned are MVP caliber players. <laughs> no and question. have been MVP candidates no in the past. No question. I'm just saying, no one says anything about the system that the dude was in. He wasn't in a system that was catering to his skills. Tom Thibodeau is out of the league, and he's getting away scot-free for ruining Andrew Wiggins' development. No one says anything about it. So... Ryan Saunders has his team playing at a high level, and people are buying stock into Ryan Saunders. Uh, Andrew Wiggins is playing at a high, lo- high level, and people are buying into Andrew Wiggins. Are you buying into the Minnesota Timberwolves with Andrew Wiggins playing this caliber basketball? What, what am I buying into? Them making the playoffs? What am I buying them into? Them being a contender. Them being oh, a contender God, to no. make the no, not, God, no, not a championship contender, a playoff contender. Playoff contender, yes. Um, playoff contender, yes. Championship contender, no. I mean, it's, it's, not, even, it's not even close. They, they need more pieces around Wiggins and Towns to get to another level. And Jared Culliver is not it. Jeff Teague is not it. I love Robert Covington. He's a great defensive player. I think Covington's all defense. He gave a vote for me. All, all, all the NBA defense. 
Uh, but in terms of being the third best player on the team, no. I mean, I guess the other way to put it is like, do you think the Timberwolves can build a contender for the future with Wiggins and Towns as the first and second best player on that team? Sure. Not respectively, by the way, because Towns is a better player than Wiggins. No question. You know I mean? with, with Towns leading the way and Wiggins being a one or a two, I won't even call him a 1B. I'll call him a two. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, listen, I know Towns is Towns. Towns is, he has the tools to be an MVP one day. Carl Anthony, let's, let's go and say it. He has the tools to be an MVP sure. one day. When he gets to that level, Andrew Wiggins is the perfect person to be the Robin to his Batman. And you adding another piece to that, I can't see why this team can't be a championship contender. Um, for what it's worth, I think before Paul George made his debut, um, Wiggins and Towns were the only duo in the NBA averaging, each averaging 25 points a game. Take it for what it's worth. Yeah. And also, let's remember that Andrew Wiggins is 24 years old. He hasn't even hit his prime in terms of athleticism yet. So let's all calm down and give these guys some time to develop. No one ever gives people time to develop anymore. We call people a bust the minute they step onto the floor. That's why I'm praying for, you know, Andrew Wiggins to step up. And also Markel Fultz. Hopefully he has a better season in the last two years that we've seen him play. Yeah, people are too quick to, you know, hit that button and just, oh, yeah, this guy's a bust. And I think Andrew Wiggins, if he were to continue to do this, that would be a great point. Because like you just said, I mean, he's only 24 years old. And, I mean, even you just saying that right now just kind of had a light bulb go off in my head. Like, oh, my God, he really is only 24 years old. Um, game. But I think that with the roster that this team has right now, I mean, their ceiling is what, an in, in eight seed in the West? Is probably, there like yeah, a seven seed in the West? Yeah, probably. That's more to do with the team around Towns and Wiggins than, like, their third best player is Jeff T. Robert Covington. Covington, yes, yeah. but he's not an offensive you know, threat other than shooting threes. He's not, he's not getting his own off the bounce. Yeah, but you need, I mean, he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. No question. Matches. No question. Yeah. But it's a steep drop off after oh, Robert Covington. Oh, it is. It is. No, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not all in on this roster either. Um, but, but I mean, like, I, I do like um, Wiggins, Towns, and Covington as a trio, and I think you can build something around that that's, uh, that's interesting. I think they need a better player than T- Covington to get to the championship level. All right, let's move on, and let's try to close things out here with Dan Tony's offense, seven seconds or less. I'm going to throw some topics out to both of you. you got to give me your reaction in seven seconds or less. First, we'll start with the new Magic jerseys. If you haven't seen it, go to orlandomagic.com. You can see the jerseys there. It, it, let me try to describe it to you. It is a black with orange trim has nothing to do with the current magic colors um i'm not sure i didn't read into it so i'm not sure what the reasoning is behind this but in my opinion they're awful i said it off the top of the podcast they're awful uh if you made it this far without skipping i'll repeat it again they're awful your thoughts on them um i'm colorblind so i feel like i shouldn't be able to allow, allow <laughs> to speak on this I am just confused what's going on with the whole like NBA fruit jerseys thing. I mean, you saw the Atlanta Hawks went with the they have their like peach alternates now. Right. Uh, I want to know if the Boston Celtics are getting cranberry jerseys. Uh, yeah. For what is worth, the, the Orlando Magic tweeted they said from Orange Groves to Orange County, this is Orlando. It's the, it's the state fruit, I believe. If so, that if that's a thing, state fruit. I don't know. You you uh, we defer to you and you. New yeah, American, the, the Brits, yeah, the new, the new, <laughs> the new American. That's that's what I'm going with. Uh, I don't understand the whole fruit jersey thing. I actually like both those jerseys. And my lasting statement is: the, Are the Celtics getting cranberry jerseys? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll wait on that. Hey, by the way, the Celtics uh, city jerseys isn't much better than that either. With that f- weird font, I don't know what's happening there. I would literally rather have cranberry jerseys than those. Yeah, those are those are pretty awful. Uh, let's move on and talk to a guy who's going back to. Uh, a city in which he starred. Derrick Rose will return to Chicago uh, this coming Wednesday as a member of the Detroit Pistons. Now, granted, he has played in Chicago before, before as a member of another team, so this is not his first time returning. But every time he goes back, it seems like the love always continues to grow. Um, and, you know, Derrick Rose seems to be one of the most humble players in the NBA. So every time he steps back on the floor in Chicago, it, it seems to take him back uh, to, you know, those times as a kid growing up in that city playing basketball. So, What's your memories of Derrick Rose uh, heading back to Chicago? I mean, it's hard not to think about anything other than his MVP season, right? And then everything that could have been um, for him in that situation before he got injured. Yeah, we got we to gotta spend a, a podcast segment talking about the Derrick Rose, what could have been, because we have uh, different takes on what could have been. I mean, we can get into that now. If no, you we don't have enough time for that, Kyle. 
I think that uh, this is a good time to mention that Derrick Rose in NBA 2K13, the year after he won his MVP trophy, was literally the most dominant. Video. He was the Mike Vick 2004, <laughs> Madden 04 version of NBA 2K. You could literally just hold down turbo and tap backs and you get a dunk every single time. That's my memory of Derrick Rose in Chicago. My memory of Derrick Rose in Chicago is when he boomed on uh, Goran Dragic uh, on the road in Phoenix. That, that dunk's nasty. Just peak Derrick Rose, the two-handed tomahawk on Drogic's head. I don't think he really recovered. Uh, Steve Kerr called LeBron James the best athlete to ever walk the face of planet Earth. You're speaking to a man that thinks that LeBron James is the best player to ever play the game uh, and that includes Michael Jordan for all you old heads listening out there. I think LeBron is better than him. You know, you can at me on Twitter, whatever. Uh, you say your Twitter handle now. Where do you, where do you, <laughs> it, it, they'll, they'll pick it up on Twitter. Where do you sit on this? I have no problems with it. I mean, I don't watch any other sport than basketball. So again, like with the <laughs> uniform things, I'm probably qualified. not the most qualified person to talk about it, but I have no argument with that. Go ahead, Kyle. I'm not going to say this doesn't go the same for Bo Jackson or Deion Sanders, but I think that if LeBron James picked any sport when he was, let's say, five years old, he would have ended up being the best athlete in that sport ever. I think LeBron like curling is, is, is pretty fun, though. He'd probably still find a way he to probably be would. the best curler <laughs> ever of all time. Yeah, LeBron playing ice hockey is incredible. I think uh, my fellow Canadians would love that. Uh, uh, Michael Porter Jr. hasn't been playing much basketball, much to Scott's delight because he hates on him. Whoa, uh, whoa, whoa. You can't just throw this stuff out there without I having can. a discussion No context for the people that are listening. Uh, <laughs> Michael Porter Jr. has, uh, has spent a lot of time admiring Trey Young's haircut and actually comparing the two, comparing his head to Trey Young's head and saying that Trey Young's haircuts are overrated. I'm paraphrasing, of course, and uh, that Trey Young spends too much time looking at his own haircuts. Um, who has the better haircuts, Michael Porter Jr. or Trey Young? Um, as you were alluding to, I have some takes about Michael Porter Jr., so I'm, uh, I'm going all Trey Young here. Uh, I don't know, Michael Porter. Michael Porter Jr. stays fresh on that bench over there. He had those. Uh, he had those like, you know, the the hollow rim glasses. He, he's got it going on over there. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Michael Porter Jr. Hey, that's two for Michael Porter Jr. Just to even out Scott's hate over here. Um, you said you have some takes. Give me one. Well, if we, if we can't have the Derrick Rose discussion, then we can't have this discussion. Fair. We'll save that. We'll table it for another time. Tristan Thompson had uh, the shacking the fool moment of the week. Where the ball, if you didn't, if you didn't see this, I'm going to try to describe it to you. The ball squirted out to the backcourt. Tristan Thompson chased it down. Ben Simmons was guarding him for what it's worth. Who's a pretty good defender. Tristan Thompson was going behind the back with the dribble a couple times. Eventually dropped Ben Simmons and was feeling himself so much that he stepped into a left-handed three-pointer that went clank. Um, what was that? I mean, he he's three for six on the season right now <laughs> on three. So I'm I'm not going to hate hate on that attempt. I do want to use this opportunity to bring up my favorite memory of the offseason. And that is one day in the office, I'm sitting down with you and Mike Adams. And we're talking about Steven Adams oh after he hits a baseline three in a preseason oh game. And you two... Well, wait a second. By, by the way, there wasn't just any old baseline three. Here you go. Already defending yourself. He I haven't even seen what it is yet. into the baseline three. It was a okay. confident stroke. You got you to gotta give people... You know, everything. And it was the first possession of the game, I believe. First was, possession. Confident. Anyway, getting back to my point. Set you and Micah both ran off a screen. That he used go he didn't run off a screen. He was he spotting off a screen. It was a corner. pin down. Um no it wasn't. You can't make this up now. <laughs> um anyway, you guys said he's gonna attempt two hundred and fifty threes this season. Um He's what are we on pace for? I, I think he has. I don't think he's attempted one. Yeah, he's so at zero. At this point, he's going to have to attempt like, I don't even know the math on it. A lot of threes for the rest <laughs> of the way out to reach that. Um, we're not worried. So yeah, that, that's my response to your Tristan Thompson. We're not worried. We, we're actually, we actually really meant Tristan Thompson's going to, you know. I mean, even then, attempt. he's only taken six in 11 games. He's just getting started. Okay. All right. It's just uh, getting started. It's unfortunate that was the only clip that came out of that game for Tristan Thompson. Uh, it's a prime shack and a full clip. Um, I mean, but he had a double-double, knocked down two threes in that game. And to uh, piggyback off what Scott was saying, we did have a joking argument this offseason in the office. Uh, who's going to hit the most threes? Ben Simmons, Steven Adams, JaVale McGee, or Tristan Thompson? And Tristan Thompson is in the lead 2-0-0-2-0. Two to zero to zero to zero. I, I do I think I did say Tristan Thompson by the way. You did not. I don't think do I that. no, I don't think I did. I think I, did. I think I did. I think I did. Don't do it. We we have a board upstairs with all the takes on it. <laughs> we we go find out. Uh, last but not least before we close things out, the Boston Celtics and the Lakers are at the top of the East and Western Conference right now, record wise as record. Um and no one's really talking about the rivalry. Is the rivalry back, Kyle? 
the rivalry never left. It never leaves. Oh, it left. It, I, it I, left. Not not in the not in the eyes of a Celtics fan, not in the eyes of a Lakers fan. The ticket prices will tell you the same thing because I've never been to a Celtics Lakers game for that reason because the ticket prices stay up. But the rivalry is back anytime that the Celtics are playing LeBron James. It's a rivalry. Anytime they're playing the Lakers, it's a rivalry. When you put those two together, the rivalry is back. No one appreciates more NBA history than you, Scott. Where do you stand on this? The rivalry is not back. I, I'm not, I, I don't necessarily believe in the Celtics team yet. Um, I think that Kyle and I have talked about this a lot. Um, I still think that they're a piece away from being um, a legit contender. So until they get to that point, I don't think they're the same level as the Lakers. So I don't think the rivalry is back. I, I, th- I think it left, but I think it's going to be back this year. Both teams are but good. it's not back right now. It's not back right now. Yeah. Both te- well, yeah, it's back right now because both teams are good. Decent. The, the Lakers are really good. The Celtics are fine. That's what makes the rivalry. I think when you have one team that has a championship caliber team, the rivalry exists. The last couple of years, we haven't seen that on both sides, so the rivalry kind of died down a little bit. Plus, people are soft nowadays. First time since 2010, they've both stood alone at the top of the standings in the East and West. 2010 was the year that they went to the finals and played each other. I don't want to talk about how that ended. Yeah. yeah well, uh, yeah. I don't know. That was Kobe's fourth? Fifth. Fifth three. I, I got to give you some Kobe stats at the end the, uh, to land <laughs> always, things up. I closed Kobe and Melo. I, yeah, I closed the show last week talking <laughs> about Melo and he came back into the league. Maybe Kobe might come back into the league. The Blazers <laughs> might need more offensive help as they head into the rest of the season, 12 games in. They're bringing back Carmelo Anthony. What a week for Scott Rafferty and Kyle Irving. I'm Carlin Gay. Keep it locked right here to NBA Sound System and also NBA.com for all our work. We will have a ton of coverage, I'm sure, of Mello's return to the basketball court and so much more. You've been listening to NBA Sound System. Thanks for doing